We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 607 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, July 7th, 2023. And Chris Paul, we hardly knew ye. Uh, does Chris Paul go down as the greatest athlete to ever technically be on a Washington, D.C. sports team, but never actually play a single game for that team? The answer has got to be yes, right? Am I forgetting someone? Chris Paul technically was on the Wizards from June 24th to July 6th. (laughs) Uh, That was his tenure. That was the tenure of CP3. That was the tenure of the man known as the point god with the Wizards. Uh, But that tenure now is done. As on Thursday, the NBA's moratorium ended, and a number of moves that we have known about for a while became official, including the Wizards trading of Chris Paul and Monte Morris. Name me a better athlete than Chris Paul to ever technically be on a D.C. sports team, but never play a single game for that team. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, coming up in a bit, I'll react to that which became official for the Wizards on Thursday, as well as a report that the Wizards could be bringing in Jeff Van Gundy as an assistant coach. But coming up next segment, a terrific guest, pro football focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger. Uh, He this week came out with his evaluations of all 32 NFL teams in terms of salary cap health, and the Commanders are number nine in the NFL in salary cap health. Uh, I would call that quite healthy. Uh, Brad's going to take us through the components of the ranking. We're going to discuss how the commanders fare at each component and the significance of each component. You know, few people on the planet can talk about it the NFL from a salary cap perspective, the way that Brad Spielberger can. Uh, So high-level analysis, a deep dive, if you will, on the commanders regarding their salary cap help is coming up. We'll also get into some larger salary cap realities in the current NFL and what the commanders from a cap perspective might be able to exploit if they do, as I also want them to do, embrace analytics, as I suspect they might do, with incoming owner Josh Harris. 
Uh, And speaking of the sale of the team, NFL insider Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, he on Thursday afternoon tweeted a quote from a source on the sale, quote, everything remains right on course, source says, for the NFL Finance Committee to recommend approval of Josh Harris's $6.05 billion deal to buy the commanders from Daniel Snyder, followed by the owners ratifying the sale at their July 20th special league meeting end quote. So a little update for you, but a very nice update for sure. Uh, Not so nice was what just happened with the Nationals, a four-game sweep to the National League Central leading and surging Cincinnati Reds, a 5-4, 10-inning loss to the Reds at Nationals Park on Thursday. I'll talk Nats later in the show, and I'll talk Orioles late in the show. Uh, They on Thursday night hammered, pounded, ravaged, The New York Yankees, a 14-1 win at the Yankees. Uh, The O's scored 12 runs over the third and fourth innings. Monster game for infielder Gunnar Henderson. He was the Orioles' starting shortstop, then moved to third base. He went four for seven with two home runs, an RBI single, and another single. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Steve on a certain birthday gift that he got, right, Steve? Hey, Al, my son Charlie, former intern at 980, sent me for my 70th birthday a Greg Williams video card. (laughs) It's pretty cool, but kind of funny that Greg now is doing birthday cards. Uh, Thank you for the email, Steve. Hey, Greg Williams, the GRE double G. Don't forget the double G, the GRE double G, uh, former Redskins assistant head coach in charge of defense, current DC defenders, defensive coordinator. Look, nowadays with things like Cameo, uh, you can send video messages and video cards from all kinds of people. Uh, Will Dan Snyder be on Cameo once he sells the Commanders? Is that a possibility? I sure hope so. Email from Jerry on the Commanders writes, Jerry, throughout the offseason, I have heard a variety of projections on where the Commanders will finish up next season. The projected win total has been anywhere between four and ten with most settling around seven. When it comes to the Redskins slash WFT slash Commanders, I have tended to be cynical about hopes for the team's success in any given season during the Snyder era. Each year, the results on the field have confirmed my cynicism. With that frame of thought in mind, I am having a hard time comprehending why many are projecting that the team will be worse than the team was last year. Uh, Despite starting a second-string XFL quarterback for most of the season, along with a washed-up quarterback who led the team to just two wins out of seven games that the guy started, the team somehow ended up 8-8-1. Doesn't having a more athletic quarterback, a more creative offensive coordinator, and a healthy Chase Young allow for a two-win improvement in 2023? I've heard you say many times that Sam Howell does not have to be great in order for the team to succeed. Is the assumption that a young quarterback is going to cost the team a few wins this season? I can't see him costing the team any more than those at the position did last year, but yet the experts seem to disagree. Am I so desperate to finally see the team succeed that I am allowing that desperation to blind me to the reality of what to expect from this team in the upcoming season? Looking forward to you providing me a reality check on what to expect in the upcoming season. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jerry. So there are three major reasons for why people are down on the commanders for this coming season. A, these people have major doubts about Sam Howell 
as a starting quarterback. B, these people have major doubts about the team's offensive line, which was abysmal last season. And C, these people give the team zero benefit of the doubt given the team's recent history. Uh, And to all of that, I say, understood. (laughs) I mean, to sit here and yell and scream that people doubting the commanders for this coming season are unquestionably dead wrong would be ridiculous. Uh, The rational, logical, predictable outlook would be that the team is the worst of the four teams in the NFC East. But here's the thing. The rational, logical, predictable outcome often isn't what we get in the NFL. Each of Washington's last six playoff seasons has come off not just a non-playoff season, but also a double-digit loss regular season. Uh, Now, the Commander's last regular season did not lose at least 10 games. The team went 8-8-1, but that did end up being a very disappointing season. That was not the step-forward season that our head coach, Ron Rivera, had said that he wanted. Additionally, remember this, the same team has not won the NFC East in back-to-back seasons since the Philadelphia Eagles won the NFC East in each of four consecutive seasons from 2001 through 2004. It has been forever since we have had a repeat winner of the NFC East. We have come to expect the unexpected in the NFC East. So could the Commanders this coming season have a terrible season? You know, a crater season in which Rod Rivera gets fired during the season? Absolutely. But could the team this coming season have a surprisingly successful season in which the defense is very good, the offensive line is improved, and Sam Howell is at least decent at quarterback? Yeah. Heck yeah. As our friend Stone Cold Steve Austin might say. Give me a hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Stone Cold. The 2023 commanders to me are a high variance team. The uh, realistic range of outcomes is wide, (laughs) very wide, Uh, almost as wide as the variety of cases that the great law firm of Paulson and Nace handles. Hey, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nays is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nays at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nays that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nays handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nays is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. And by the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. 
Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. A big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast by most platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, you want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you want Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Uh, can be more, but doesn't have to be. Uh, but thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. So we now are inside of three weeks until the start of Commander's Training Camp, which will begin on July 27th. And actually, things truly get going before then. Uh, Commander's rookies are due to report for camp on July 21st, and veterans are due to report for camp on July 25th. And of course, before all of that, uh, we have the expected approval by NFL owners of the sale of the team to the Josh Harris Group. Uh, the vote of NFL owners is expected to happen on July 20th. But as we are in this downtime on the NFL calendar, uh, we get a lot of NFL lists as a means of generating content, right? Uh, now, some lists are better than others, but we this week got a particularly good list, and it came from the man who joins me now. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, pro football focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger. Uh, Brad also is a contributor to OverTheCap.com. Uh, he's also a lawyer, uh, and Brad on Wednesday came out with his ranking of all 32 NFL teams in terms of salary cap health a three-year salary cap analysis of all 32 NFL teams. And the Commanders fared quite well in this analysis, which you can find at pff.com. And you can follow Brad on Twitter at pff underscore Brad. Hey, Brad, great to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, great for being back. I'm I'm good. Enjoying the July 4th week. Uh, How about you? Yeah, very much so. Uh, And I enjoyed where the commanders came out in your analysis, number nine in the NFL in salary cap health. Uh, Before we get into the specifics, what does it mean to be ninth in the NFL in cap health? Yeah, so I wanted to, you know, people always talk about how can we tell when a team's able to spend or not spend or what can you look at? And I think looking at a static cap space number shows you close to nothing, right? I mean, of course, it matters. Your team might have to restructure a deal or or release a player to do something, but there are obviously many different mechanisms to get around that. So I wanted to create something where we're looking at every kind of component of roster construction from a 30,000-foot bird's-eye view and then compile all those things together. And the feedback I've gotten in recent years is, you know, the actual quality of your roster should probably have more weight and matter more. Sure, it's great to just have cap space or have a lot of rookie contracts or draft picks for 
all these things. But if your team isn't good to begin with, then it might not matter. So fold that in as well. Um, there's five different categories. Washington shows up pretty pretty well in all of them um, and, and land themselves in the top 10, uh, you know, with the middle of the pack roster and then obviously a lot of resources going forward. You've worked at Pro Football Focus for a while. Uh, you've communicated with NFL teams. Uh, Brad, for those who don't know, a former legal intern with the Minnesota Vikings. Do NFL teams keep track of other NFL teams' salary cap situations? Like this analysis that you've done, are NFL teams doing this themselves? They're looking, they're entering the details of every single contract, right? So, you know, obviously we do that over the cap. They're getting the actual contract every single time. We, we get it when we can, sometimes just media reports. And, and yeah, they're tracking every single, you know, I think the bigger thing there would be like, is there a date that's a trigger date where a guy might get cut? You know, like the details that may, ultimately it feeds back to how can this potentially impact us? Um, but yes, they, they are keeping tabs on it. It probably gives you a better idea of trade candidates. Like I said, you know, cut candidates, all these things. Um, and you can kind of learn through the financial details uh, and maybe pinpoint some some places where you see value, you know, that you wouldn't see otherwise. All right. So there are five key components of your analysis. Uh, they are top 51 veteran valuation, active draft capital, 2023 through 2025 cap space, total prorated money and 2024 free agent valuation. Let's go through each category as it relates to the commanders. We start with top 51 veteran valuation. Uh, The commanders are 17th in the NFL. Yeah, so this one is, is simply you take every player on the roster. I have come up with a, a kind of a metric that converts our wins above replacement and some other factors and variables as well and, and spits out a dollar value. So, you know, of course, tied to positional value, it, it does tie back to the market itself. So, you know, if you have a very good player as an edge and receiver and, and these marquee premium positions, you might actually, you know, show up even better. The commanders actually were top 10 last year. And I think, um, obviously, maybe they, they didn't age particularly well. I think. Carson Wentz probably was carrying too much value still, but nevertheless, still, you know, right in the top half of the NFL in that range. And I think it is because the defensive line is obviously one of the best in football, some good receivers, you know, good players at those expensive positions. Um, So still showing up pretty well. Okay. Active draft capital. The commanders are 10th in the NFL. Uh, How do you define active draft capital? Yeah, and so this is where I think it does tie back to contracts, and, and so everything is kind of geared towards your your health. So it's really simple. That one is just how many draft picks have you made the last three seasons, so guys that are still on their rookie deals, but then instead of just saying you know total picks or what round they were in, we actually convert every single draft pick into a value on our draft chart, right? So you know the first overall pick's 3,000 points. You get to the end of the you know the draft, and they're, I don't know, 150 points or less in the 250s. So Really, it's just, you know, again, there is projection there. Obviously, you're going to get busts that go top 10. You're going to have Cameron Curls of the world. But it's really just, you know, who are who are the guys they're working with that could blossom into stars that are on these cheap deals that are providing them surplus value. Um, and, and, you know, it, that does help you. You can spend more if you have, you know, look, a Sam Howell. Uh, if he pans out, you, you have this massive value. And then you can add talent on top of that. All right. Cap space for 2023 through 2025. The commanders are eighth in the NFL. Uh, That category seems self-explanatory. Yeah, that, that's pretty straightforward. Just effective cap space, which for them, hey, they spent uh, some big some big deals recently and they're still top 10. It's good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Total prorated money. The commanders are seventh 
in the NFL. What's the significance of total prorated money? Yeah, so now this gets into, look, There, of course, there are ways to work around the salary cap, obviously, in the division, yet the Philadelphia Eagles are first in this metric, which I guess would be last, um, by, by about a country mile. But basically, you know, when you want to create short-term cap space and, and enable yourself to add more talent in the present year, you can prorate money, which basically, you know, signing bonuses, option bonuses, restructures, you know, you hear about every offseason. Essentially, you spread, instead of all of that cap hitting the current year, you can spread out over five years. Years. But of course, uh, it's a credit card, right? That, that bill does come due eventually. So if you're super high on that list, you know, like I said, the Eagles, they're, they're navigating the waters right now. But eventually, you know, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Lane Johnston, like these guys are going to retire and they're going to leave these cap hits behind and, you know, a void of a good player. And then it's going to be harder to kind of replace them than it would be if you don't have a lot of prorated money and you can kind of pull those levers, you know, in, in the current moment. And then the final category, the one in which the Commanders fared the worst, 2024 free agent valuation. The Commanders are next to last, 31st out of 32 NFL teams. Uh, Some big-time unrestricted free agents to be for the Commanders this coming season. Right. So, so yeah, no, so, so they are, you know, they one of the largest, you know, expected values of their pending free agents. So again, tying it back to the salary cap. Sure. You could I mean, look at the Bengals. They do show up first here uh, in the overall category, but then in that column, I think they're dead last. Cause you know, you got T Higgins up for a deal, you know, uh, all these players, DJ reader and Chidobi Wuzier, obviously Joe Burrow eventually. So, you know, it's basically saying, yeah, their cap's healthy right now, but they're about to give out a bunch of massive contracts. Uh, obviously, you know, Montana, Montez Sweat, um, you know, Cam Curl, all these guys, great football players that are currently on these cheaper contracts, but we know they do need to get paid. Kendall Fuller, Chase Young, I guess now would factor into this after his option was declined. You know, a lot of good football players that do need new money soon or, or they're going somewhere else. This analysis that you do is fascinating. I think it's great. Out of the five categories, which one is most meaningful? So, yeah. So, so, like I said, I originally did it and all five categories were equally weighted. And, and some feedback I got was like, I get that it is a cap metric. So I understand that you're really just looking at available dollars and, and draft capital and all these things. But at the end of the day, if the team isn't good, you know, look, the Jaguars and Browns probably showed up first in, in, the, in the old version. They probably showed up first for a decade straight. And it's like, who cares? Right. So so now if the big thing is like there's a, there's an outsized weight. It's about 35, 40 percent of the entire um, I'm not going to get into the full math behind it. But anyway, like that one category is almost equal to, you know, two fifths of the entire analysis, because I think it also, you know, there are effects that come from that, too. Right. Like maybe because you're good, you can add veterans for cheap flyers because they want to compete. Like there's there there are money financial ways that trickle back into just being a good team. Much more with Pro Football Focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger on the Commanders in moments. Uh, Brad is giving us outstanding Commanders conversation, just like what you get at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. Yeah, at WSH on the Daily on IG. Uh, on the Daily just started in 2021 and yet has nearly 22,000 followers. And on the Daily is literally daily. Well, the page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, this is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information. Doesn't just uh, post anything that anyone says on the daily. On Instagram is a great place in which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, the draft, free agency, and trades. Uh, on the daily responds to every single DM. 
Uh, on the Daily is a page at which you can have fun, uh, lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, <laughs> which is when On the Daily gives out free wallpaper that you could use on your phone. And On the Daily always has a great fresh look. If you are on Instagram, check out at WSH on the daily for smart, informative, fun, and engaging commander's content. Check out at WSH on the daily on Instagram. More now with pro football focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger, whose analysis has the commanders as ranking ninth in the NFL in salary cap hell. Uh, You referenced the team's top two contract extension candidates right now, edge defender Montez Sweat and safety Cameron Curl. The sale of the team becoming official on July 20th, assuming that that happens, uh, would seem to end this apparent freeze that has been in effect on the team truly getting going on trying to get extensions with these guys done. With whom should getting a contract extension done this offseason be easier? Montez Sweat or Cameron Curl? Yeah, I think Cam Curl probably. There is always, you know, you have a lot of leverage as a club over a late draft pick, right? Because Cam Curl has probably made $2 million in three years, right? So, yes, a big deal is coming, but you can convince that guy to, hey, you know, we're getting an early extension done. You're basically getting set for life, even if you never sign another contract, which unfortunately is the reality of football, especially at the safety position, uh, you know, not, not a position that lasts forever for most guys. So, yeah, I, I think that one you say, hey, look, we'll give you, let's say, $14 million or so around is where I pegged it. Um, there are a lot of good players at the position right now, him and Kyle Duggar and, and, and guys from his draft class. But, but yeah, I think that one, because you can say, hey, you know, look, we're not afraid to tag you, and, and Washington is clearly not afraid to franchise tag players. Um, so I, I think Curl is the most likely to get done this offseason. The man who the commanders are positioning to be their QB1 for this coming season, Sam Howell, is on not just a rookie contract, but a rookie contract for a 2022 fifth round pick. The disparity between his coming salary cap hits and those for the other three QB1s in the NFC East, uh, massive, given that all three of those guys now are on big money contracts. Now, obviously, the holy grail in the world of the NFL salary cap is the great quarterback on a rookie contract. But is a quarterback on a big money contract as big of an impediment to roster construction as a quarterback on a big money contract is made out to be or is that overrated? No, it's uh, it's legit. You know, if you the simple, you know, high level perspective, you can just say, you know, look at these Super Bowl participants the last 10, 15 years, um, and, and you're going to see one, at least one rookie contract quarterback in, in almost every single one of those matchups. And look, obviously, some of that times it's yeah, Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he's a phenomenal player, but then you also can find the, you know, Jared Goff in in 2018 with the Rams. It was not great that year, but they were just able to add so much talent around him. Um, you know, there, there are examples. You go back many years, you can find all sorts of guys that you say, you know what? On a paid veteran contract, we probably can't win with this guy. But because we're saving so much money, and, and Goff's the first overall pick. Obviously, Howell, what, a fifth-round fifth, fifth round pick. It's even even bigger disparity. Um, but, I mean, Jalen Hurts last year, too. Obviously, he just got paid, but he was making pennies last season. That obviously helped them trade for A.J. Brown and do all these things. It's it's if anything it might sound crazy because we hear it all the time now but it's not overstated it might still be understated just how valuable it is to land a good player on a cheap deal like that. 
Interesting. When you hear people say that the NFL salary cap is fake, in other words, that teams in supposed tight cap situations all of the time make big money moves and navigate those supposed tight cap situations just fine, you say what? What I say now, kind of my go-to default answer is like, I get why people feel that way. They see these teams like the Saints that like keep spending money and we keep, you know, they're dead last in my rankings here. I think they were dead last last year as well. Um, like you can, obviously you can manipulate player contracts so much. So what I say is the cap is real, but the player contracts that make up and comprise your salary cap are fake, right? So like you can, you can do all these things, but eventually, you know, the credit card analogy is probably the safest one. Like eventually it catches up to you. Like the Rams tell the Rams this offseason the cap is fake, right? I mean, they, 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 their roster is devoid of talent and they're still not in a good financial position. You know, so eventually it catches up to you, but it, it, you can do it for a long time. And that's why I think people kind of, kind of say that. In observing the NFL and studying how teams handle their salary cap situations, which teams are the ones that you especially respect when it comes to cap management? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously they're the creative teams, the ones that are willing to kind of bend the rules and do things different. Like that is Philadelphia. I guess you could put New Orleans in that bucket as well. But for me, the ones that they stay in the middle and it enables them to never get in a position where they have to kind of shed contracts, move on from players they would have liked to keep. I mean, look, Kansas City is one of them, which is probably scary for a lot of people. But they were 16th in cash spending last year. They're currently 17th in cash spending right now. You know, like making tough decisions like trading Tyree Kill and getting some rookie contract players in instead. You draft back-to-back edge rushers in the first round, which enables you to cut Frank Clark. Like, they had this kind of self-fulfilling thing. Um, and I think, you know, Cincinnati's doing a phenomenal job the last couple of years with that as well. Uh, just kind of finding replacements and, and getting cheaper, knowing eventually you know you're gonna have to pay your marquee guys a ton of money and you can't pay you can't play kind of those upper middle tier guys i mean the patriots did it for for 20 years straight and it's like oh they're crazy they traded chandler jones or they let this guy walk and yeah because if they they'd love to keep him but if they did it just makes it that much harder would you say that nfl teams today as compared to say 10 years ago are smarter and better at salary cap management or not necessarily uh, there is undoubtedly growth, but I'll tell you, like I get asked a lot, you know, do you think the, the analytics wave is is more on the field or more in roster construction? And I still think there is more time and attention dedicated to, you know, fourth down decisions and, and, and you know, go, go for it or not, field goal, yada, yada. Um, and we haven't seen a full scale kind of money balling. And I'm not saying there should be, but but even just, you know, like. I think, unfortunately, in this sport, things can become very binary where it's like, look, this guy's a good player. We drafted him. Yeah, maybe he's not worth what he's asking for, but like we're not going to you know, haggle over a couple million dollars. We're just going to kind of get it done. And even the smart teams do that. I just think there is a fear of, you know, letting good players walk in this league because it's, it's just a bit harder to kind of filter through and replace guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of room for growth there, frankly. Along those lines, so something that I'm really interested to see and hoping to see is the commanders under Josh Harris becoming big on analytics. Uh, Harris, as managing partner of both the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils, has shown himself to be an owner who very much believes in analytics. If Josh Harris called Brad Spielberger up and said, hey, Brad, uh, is there a market inefficiency in salary cap management that I, with a high-level analytics team on the commanders, could exploit. What would you say? 
I, I do think so, yeah. And, and here's like just like a, an easier kind of simple high-level you know, analysis. This is, again, something the Patriots did for a very long time. I think it doesn't get enough credit for their last string of Super Bowls, 2017 to 19. So what happens is a lot of times teams will there will be this upper echelon, you know, elite players. Then there's kind of your, your second tier guys, still very good football players you want to keep around. It's not gradual. Then it like falls off a cliff, right? And so what they were doing was basically, you know, let's say random position, random player. Player X is worth, you know, six million dollars in the open market. No one gives it to him. And he doesn't get five. He gets two, right? Like there's just not a market for it. And so the Patriots started signing all of these guys that basically look, they were contributors. Maybe they only played 500 snaps, but they were very good at one aspect of football. Hey, this safety, all he can do is cover tight ends. He's pretty much good at nothing else. But we'll go at him for this. Or this pass rusher, we're literally going to play him only on third and long because he can't defend the run. And he, you know, he doesn't win. If you dig his double team, he's not going to win. Just one on one matchup. Like, they were attacking those inefficiencies where I think the production value of those players was worth more than the contracts. But, you know, I'm not going to say stars and scrubs, but like the Rams approach and, and that kind of philosophy, I think was more, hey, pay your elite guys and then just like fill in fluff and draft picks and whatever. And I think they were like, let's just get a bunch of like above average football players. There, there's just one example. And, and I think it worked for them, you know, for, for that last run of, uh, of success. That is outstanding. Great stuff. Pro Football Focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger on the Commanders. Brad, thanks a lot. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so at last, some of these Wizards moves that we've known about for a while are official. The uh, Wizards re-signing of Kyle Kuzma as an unrestricted free agent still is not official, but two more trades by the Wizards in the uh, teardown of their roster. 
are now official. Uh, Thursday was the day on which the NBA moratorium ended. Uh, 12.01 p.m. Eastern on Thursday was when the uh, NBA moratorium ended. The NBA moratorium, it started last Friday, June 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern. It was during the NBA moratorium that most free agent signings and trades could not become official because the goal of the NBA in every offseason is for things to be as complicated and confusing as possible. That's why every NBA draft now, we have teams trading picks, but still selecting players uh, with picks those teams are trading. But anyway, the Wizards on Thursday afternoon officially announced the trading of Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors, and the Wizards on Thursday evening officially announced the trading of Monte Morris to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, The trades are as follows. Chris Paul to the Warriors for Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., a 2030 first round pick, a 2027 second round pick in cash considerations, and Monte Morris to the Pistons for a 2027 second round pick, which will be the more favorable of picks from the Brooklyn Nets and Dallas Mavericks that the Pistons previously acquired. Also, the Wizards via this trade generated a traded player exception. So with Chris Paul, uh, the Wizards got him in the trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. That trade was officially announced on June 24th, but was first reported on June 18th. It was on June 22nd that we had multiple reports that the Wizards had agreed to trade Paul to the Warriors. So think about that. That trade was agreed on on June 22nd, but did not become official until July 6th. Uh, The 2030 protected first round pick is a top 20 protected pick, according to NBA analyst Zach Lowe of ESPN. Uh, It's worth noting that uh, Patrick Baldwin is a 2022 first round pick. He was taken by the Warriors out of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee with the number 28 overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. But the key piece for the Wizards in this Chris Ball trade, of course, is Jordan Poole. So the Warriors took Poole out of the University of Michigan with the number 28 overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft. He blossomed into a very good player, starting with his second NBA season, the 2020-2021 season. He played a major role in the Warriors winning the 2022 NBA title. The uh, Warriors last October signed Poole to a big money four-year contract extension, but also for Jordan Poole last October, (laughs) was him getting punched by then-Warriors teammate Draymond Green in a preseason practice, and things were never the same for Poole with the Warriors. And, you know, we know the deal with the Warriors. They're not dumb. And yet they have dealt Jordan Poole uh, in getting the aging Chris Paul. So you have to think about, well, why? You know, what exactly happened here with Jordan Poole with the Warriors? Now, Poole can score. Of that, there's no doubt. Poole this past regular season averaged a career-best 24.5 points per 36 minutes and a career-best 32.2 points per 100 possessions, but his three-point percentage did fall and his turnovers went way up. Uh, I'm a big fan of ESPN's real plus-minus metric, which does a good job, not a perfect job, but a good job of assessing the overall impact of a player. Uh, Jordan Poole, for last regular season, ranked just 35th out of all qualified shooting guards in the NBA in ESPN's real plus minus metric. (laughs) Uh, Although Bradley Beal ranked 30th. How about that? A five-year, $251 million supermax contract apparently does not buy 
uh, what it used to buy. But, you know, I've seen some people express major excitement over the Wizards now having Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, those two could score a lot of points together, no doubt. Could be a lot of fun together, no doubt. Uh, but those two also could end up hating each other, okay? I mean, that would not shock me at all. Uh, as I said on Monday's show, episode 604, the beauty of Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma is that each guy is young enough and talented enough to where he can be a potential building block or potential trade ship for our rebuilding Wizards. So having these guys on the Wizards as they're rebuilding does make sense. Uh, Poole is entering his age 24 season. Kuzma is entering his age 28 season. And regarding Jordan Poole and Draymond Green, uh, look, who knows what the deal was, but I thought that this was interesting. This was longtime NBA insider Rick Buecher, now with FS1 on 95.7 the game in San Francisco recently. Take a listen. Jordan was on a lot of players' nerves way before that, including Clay's and Steph's. And Draymond was finally the one who tipped the scales and and went overboard. And I'm not defending at all what he did. But after he did it, Draymond tried everything possible to remedy that situation. And Jordan would have none of it. None of it. And I'm just looking at it as, Jordan, you have an opportunity to, to, to learn and succeed Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors and a team that has put its eye on the prize of, of winning championships every chance they can. And you can't get over this situation with Draymond. When Draymond's going to be gone at some point, and this is going to be yours, you couldn't see the big picture. And, and instead, remain difficult, remain like a, made sure that that elephant was still in the room. Um, look, mm. uh, the young guy, uh, I, uh, there's a part of me that understands. Maybe he just wasn't mature enough to get around that. But I, I look at it as who did it cost the most? It cost Jordan Poole the most, as, as I look at it. So how about that? Rick Buecher on Jordan Poole saying that Poole was on a lot of Warriors players' nerves uh, and refused to mend fences with Draymond Green. Now, regarding that latter part, I mean, if someone punches you, maybe you shouldn't want to mend fences with that person. Like I said, who knows truly what the deal was between Poole and Draymond, but there certainly seemed to be some stuff with Poole and the Warriors. And the Wizards over the years have dealt with way too much stuff with players. So I think if you're a Wizards fan, you got to go into the Jordan Poole experience with eyes wide open. Uh, also with the Wizards, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Mannix, seen a piece that came out on Thursday afternoon, reported that there is, quote, mutual interest, end quote, in Jeff Van Gundy becoming an assistant on the staff of Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr., uh, that would be interesting, and that to me would be good. I like Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, he's one of many people who just got laid off by ESPN. Uh, he's now 61, uh, but he knows the league very well. Uh, he did some very good things as head coach of the New York Knicks and then Houston Rockets, uh, although those head coaching tenders were a long time ago now. But look, the Wizards need all of the help 
that they can get. Uh, a guy like Jeff Van Gundy with a young rebuilding team in the Wizards uh, could be a very good thing. Well, the Nationals going 6-3 and three on that nine-game road trip that concluded this past Sunday now seems like a long time ago. The Nats lost to the National League Central leading Cincinnati Reds 5-4 in 10 innings at Nationals Park on Thursday, completing a four-game sweep. Uh, the Nats now are 34-53. and 53. That is the second-worst record in the National League, and the 34-53 and 53 is comprised of being 21-22 and 22 on the road versus just 13 and 31 at home. The Nats now have lost 14 of their last 15 home games. The Nats in this series ran into a buzzsaw in the Reds. The Reds now have won 20 of their last 24 games and are 49 and 39. You know, you take a step back. The Reds are this promising young team, have a number of good young hitters. The Reds are what we hope the Nats will be sooner rather than later. Uh, Although it is worth noting that the Reds do have a negative run differential of minus seven. So the success may be a bit fraudulent, but the talent on the Reds is real. And look, we're going to talk run differential. (laughs) The Nats have a run differential of minus 88. And this series against the Reds was rough. Uh, the Nats in this 5-4-10 inning loss on Thursday blew a 3-2 eighth inning lead. Additionally, the game featured a rain delay of an hour and 43 minutes. And so the Nats starting pitcher in this game, Mackenzie Gore, barely pitched. Uh, he tossed one and a third scoreless innings and then was done for the game after the rain delay. And so this essentially became a bullpen game for the Nats, uh, a bullpen game that went 10 innings. Not ideal if you're Nats manager, Davey Martinez. Six Nats relievers combined to allow five runs, four earned in eight and two-thirds innings. Mason Thompson, he allowed one run in two and two-thirds innings. He in the top of the third allowed a run on a one-out walk of Will Benson and a two-out RBI single by Kevin Newman through the left side of the infield for a one-nothing Reds lead. Jordan Weems officially allowed a run in one and two-thirds innings. Seeing a Reds one-run six faced four batters and got just two outs. Jose A. Ferrer officially tossed one and a third scoreless innings, although he in that Reds one-run six gave up a two-out RBI double by Ellie De La Cruz down the third baseline and into foul territory to tie the game at two, although also on this play was some good defense by the Nats. Left fielder Stone Garrett and shortstop C.J. Abrams teaming up to throw out Matt McClain at home for the third out. And credit to catcher Riley Adams, who made a great pick on a one-hop throw by Abrams. But then came the Nats' top two relievers, Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey having problems. Finnegan allowed a run in an inning. He in the top of the eighth allowed a run on a leadoff opposite field double by Will Benson down the left field line, despite him having been down in the count at 1.12. And Finnegan then gave up a one-out pinch RBI single by Joey Votto to right field to tie the game at three. And Hunter Harvey, he allowed two runs, one earned in one and a third innings. Now, we did have three strikeouts. This very much was a Jekyll and Hyde outing for Hunter Harvey. He, at times, looked awesome, and he also gave up a big homer. Uh, He tossed a perfect top of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts to preserve a three-all tie. That was great, but Harvey, in the top of the tenth on his very first pitch, gave up a two-run homer by Nick Senzel to left field for a 5-3 Reds lead. The homer went a projected 402 feet per stat cast. And then Corey Abbott in the top of the 10th faced three batters and got two outs, both via strikeout. 
Uh, the Nats in this 5-4-10 inning loss to the Reds were uh, not good offensively. The Nats in this four-game sweep to the Reds just did not keep pace with the Reds' offense. The Nats on Thursday, just four runs, just eight hits, just two walks, just a two for 11 with runners in scoring position. A brutal game for Capet Ruiz. He is an Nats starting DH and number five batter, went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. You know, K-Bert this season has hit into a lot of bad luck, and you got to acknowledge that when evaluating his season. But man, his basic offensive numbers are bad. K-Bert Ruiz for this regular season has a batting average of just 225 and on base percentage of just 279 and a slugging percentage of just 360. Uh, Joey Manessis, he was an ad starting first baseman at number three batter. This was his first start at first base since April 27th, if you could believe that. Uh, but Manessis in this game, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Uh, Stone Garrett as the Nats starting left fielder and number four batter, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Uh, three Nats batters on Thursday who did do well were Lane Thomas, Alex Call, and Riley Adams. Uh, Lane Thomas, he was an Nats starting right fielder and number one batter. Another good game in what really is becoming a very good season uh, Lane Thomas on Thursday, two for five with a two-run single and an RBI single. Uh, Thomas in an Nats two-run fifth, a two-out full count, two-run single through the left side of the infield for a 2-1 Nats lead. And Thomas in an Nats one-run tenth, a leadoff RBI single off Ellie De La Cruz as he was playing shortstop to cut the Nats deficit to 5-4. Uh, Lane Thomas's team-leading OPS for this regular season now is at 8 58. Someone get this man on the National League All-Star team. Uh, Alex Call, he in his second game back from AAA Rochester was an offensive force, if you could believe that. Uh, Call as an at starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for two with a solo homer, two walks, and a stolen base. Uh, Call in an at one run seventh, a tie-breaking one-out solo homer on a bomb to left field for a 3-2 Nats lead, the homer went a projected 428 feet per stat cast. I mean, how about that? Alex Call, a 428-foot clutch homer. Uh, also, Call in the bottom of the third drew a one-out 10-pitch walk. And Call in the Nats two-run fifth drew a two-out walk and had a steal of second base on a double steal. Uh, and then Riley Adams, he is an Nats starting catcher and number seven batter, three for four with two doubles and a single. Uh, Adams now in this regular season, just 79 plate appearances, but an OPS of 881. Uh, additionally, Jamer Candelario, uh, he is an Nats starting third baseman and number two batter on Thursday, one for four with a single and a hit by pitch, uh, which was a nasty hit by pitch. Came in the bottom of the 10th, was off his right knee. Uh, he did then leave the game, so we'll see how he's doing on Friday. Rough series for Candelario physically. He in that 9-2 loss to the Reds on Wednesday night, hurt his left thumb. Uh, next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the American League West-leading Texas Rangers at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night at 7.05. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 12.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher.
So a nit to pick with the Orioles in their oh-so-good 2023 season has been that their run differential isn't as good as their record is. The O's through games on Wednesday had the second-best record in the American League at 50-35, and 35, but also a run differential of plus 16. Uh, their expected record with that run differential was 44-41. and 41. Well, what happened on Thursday night did some good for that Orioles run differential. A 14-1 win at the New York Yankees for a split of a four-game series in which the O's lost the first two games, but then won the final two games to get back Joe Angel in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Heck yeah, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's now are 51 and 35, second best record in the American League. The O's now are three games ahead of the Houston Astros for the American League's top wild card spot and are four games ahead of both the Yankees and Toronto Blue Jays. And the O's now are just four games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East, as the mighty Rays incredibly have lost five consecutive games. The Orioles' offense in this series at the Yankees was so-so in games one and two, but really good in games three and four, and the O's on Thursday night erupted for 14 runs, 20 hits, and eight walks, when eight for 20 with runners in scoring position. The 20 hits consisted of two homers, five doubles, and 13 singles. The O's scored 12 runs over the third and fourth innings. Uh, So many Orioles players on Thursday night got in on the act, but the two guys who stood out the most were Gunnar Henderson and Ryan O'Hearn. Henderson, as the Orioles starting shortstop and number one batter, went four for seven with two home runs, an RBI single, and another single. He hit an Orioles one run first, had a leadoff full count, opposite field home run to left field for a 1-0 Orioles lead. Henderson in an Orioles seven-run third, had a two-out RBI single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch for a 5-0 Orioles lead. Henderson in an Orioles five-run fourth, had a one-out three-run homer on a bomb to right center field for a 12-0 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 400 16 feet per stat cast. Tremendous game for Gunnar Henderson. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game session with reporters on Thursday night on Henderson. He's got so much power, and to be able to go opposite field the way he did there in the in the uh, top of the first and um, just spraying the ball around hard. I mean, he's just, a really exciting young player and a ton of tools and great, great team offense tonight. I mean, it was just... Love their two-strike approach. I thought we were really we just grinded at the plate, battled a ton of great at bats, and um, you know scored a ton of runs. Yes, you did. Uh, Gunnar Henderson has had an up and down season, but his OPS for this regular season now is at 804. He, of course, is one of many highly touted young Orioles players. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, on the other hand, was acquired via trade with the Kansas City Royals for cash. This past January, the O's basically purchased O'Hearn 
from the Royals. Uh, he was a non-roster invitee to 2023 Orioles spring training. He this season has played for both the O's and for AAA Norfolk, but his OPS at the major league level for this regular season now is at 895. This guy continues to hit O'Hearn on Thursday night as the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter, three for four with an RBI double, a two-run single, another single, a walk, and an RBI sack fly. Heck, Ryan O'Hearn in that Orioles seven-run third had two run-scoring hits in opposite field. RBI double to left field for a 2 nothing Orioles lead and a two-out, two-run single to right field for an 8 nothing Orioles lead. Uh, also, Colton Kowser, he on Thursday night in his uh, second Major League regular season game served as the Orioles starting center fielder and number six batter. Went over 3, but he drew two walks and a hit by pitch. And the hit by pitch actually led to Brandon Hyde being ejected. Uh, Hyde got ejected in the top of the eighth with the O's leading 14 nothing. That was odd, but uh, Kowser was hit by a pitch by Yankees reliever Wandy Peralta on what looked like it may have been an intentional hit by pitch. If you watch the game on Mass and Orioles analyst, the great Jim Palmer, uh, he sure seemed to think that the hit by pitch was intentional. Uh, the Orioles starting pitcher in this 14-1 win at the Yankees on Thursday night was Kyle Bradish. He was good to at least some extent for a sixth consecutive start. Bradish tossed six scoreless innings with five strikeouts. He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He threw 92 pitches, 55 strikes versus 37 balls, and he stayed ready despite sitting during those big offensive innings by the O's. Uh, Brandon Hyde on that during his post-game session with reporters on Thursday night. That is not easy to do. Um, you know, big lead, a ton of time waiting, and to be able to come out strike one right away for you know the first hitter, uh, to be able to kind of go after that first guy, get a, get a quick first out. Uh, it's a lot of times you see that go backwards, and uh, especially for a young pitcher to be able to be able to pitch in that kind of game and and you know go six scoreless was fantastic. Yes, it was. Uh, Kyle Bradish now in this regular season, 16 starts, ERA a 3.32. Tyler Wells has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season, but Bradish has been number two. And uh, two Orioles relievers on Thursday night, Nick Vespi and Eduard Bazzardo combined for three scoreless innings. How do you not love that name? Eduard Bazzardo. Uh, the O's on Wednesday afternoon in a flurry of roster moves selected the contract of Bazzardo from AAA Norfolk. Uh, and the O's on Thursday evening announced that they had traded reliever Chris Valamont uh, to the Cleveland Guardians for cash considerations of having designated Valamont uh, for assignment on Wednesday afternoon. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the American League Central-leading Minnesota Twins. Game one, Friday night at 8-10. Cole Irvin will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 2-10. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 2-10. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 608. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders and on the rest of our 
Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series against the Texas Rangers at Nationals Park. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series at the Minnesota Twins. And we on Sunday night have day one of the 2023 MLB draft in which the Nats have the number two overall pick and the O's have the number 17 overall pick. Have a great weekend and I'll talk to you on Monday. Give me a hell yeah!